The number 1-855-821-5900 anytime to get a hold of Lior, Lior, L-I-O-R at employmenthour.com. We will get to the severance pay calculator. If you haven't tried this tool, we'll uh, we'll capitalize on it and expand on it here in just a bit. But we always start our show with the uh, the week that was. So what has been happening this week, my friend? Well, first of all, the big thing that's happening is we're celebrating our four-year anniversary doing the show, John. I can't believe it. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of people (laughs) helped. 2013 in March. Yeah, a lot of people helped. A lot of information conveyed. Uh, So, you know, time flies. We're four years older, but hopefully a bit wiser as well. And uh, we're happy to be back here, and, and we'll continue doing this for as long as we can and educate and inform people about workplace rights, employment law, anything to do with any uh, issues to do with uh, with your job and your work. And uh, hopefully uh, you've enjoyed the show. We certainly, John and I, have uh, really loved being here and doing this, and uh, we're going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, to start us off, as we do every week, John, let's talk about a couple of situations that I saw over the past week or so where I think our listeners may, may find uh, something to learn and something interesting to, uh, to take from it. Uh, the first situation involved a lady that worked for a doctor's office for, for quite a few years, and uh, she usually had the arrangement that uh, we all do, and that is that if she wants to take a vacation, she'll tell her employer and he'll approve it, and she'll take the vacation. Yep. Uh, and usually she hasn't had any problems. She would tell the employer and, and, and he would really not give her a hard time and she'd take the vacation as scheduled, no problem. Well, this year she wanted to take a vacation and the empl- and her boss, the doctor, said, well, no, I don't want you to take a vacation during that time. I only want you to take a vacation when I'm going to be away so that uh, we're away at the same time. Right. Uh, obviously, this was a surprise for her, and but she did the reasonable thing. And she said, well, let, let's let's try to work this out. Let's see if we can find some compromise. Maybe we can you know, split the difference. I'll take a few days here and then a few days the other time. Sure. And, 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 you know, quite reasonable, except she never got a response back. He never said anything, yes, no, maybe, nothing. She followed up a few times, never got a response, completely ignored her. And she, what she ended up doing is she ended up taking the vacation that she had originally wanted to take, that the one that the, the boss had initially said no to. And when she came back, she found a note from the doctor saying, well, by doing that, you quit your job. Uh-huh. Uh, you're gone, you quit, uh, and, and so long, farewell. And that's when she, she contacted me, wanted to know if that's right. Now, this is an interesting situation. An employer is allowed to schedule vacation. An employer is allowed to decide when the employee can take vacation and when the employee cannot take vacation. So even though you know, we think of, uh, I'm scheduling a vacation for those days, the employer can say no, and the employer can not only say no, the employer can decide, I'm, I've decided, John, you're only taking a vacation during this week. Most employers don't do that because you would have very unhappy employees, but they can certainly do it. But what happened here is she did the reasonable thing. She, she went back to try to get some feedback to see if the matter can be resolved, and she was never told no. She was never told maybe. There was never an answer. So she took her vacation. Now, is this the right thing to do? Maybe. Maybe not, but what it isn't, John, it's not a resignation. So she can't consider to have resigned. Maybe there's some misconduct there. Maybe she could be disciplined, uh, some sort of a warning, but it's not a resignation. It's not a termination for cause. So by treating her as having resigned, in fact, that's now a wrongful dismissal. And she's been there for about eight years. She could be owed nine, 10 months pay. So there's an important lesson there and that is, if even if the employee does something wrong, uh, that doesn't mean you can treat them as resigned or, or terminate them for cause. 
uh, you have to still abide by the rules in terms of discipline and, and uh, giving them the opportunities to improve. And when it comes to scheduling vacation for employees, yes, you do want to uh, speak with your employer and be reasonable. In this case, she did it. So I ultimately think that this is a wrongful dismissal, and I'm going to help her get the compensation that she's owed, John. So this guy, just leaving uh, her employer for, I would assume, maybe a week's vacation, even though he said no and there was no feedback, that doesn't rise to the level of cause to let her go because he had nobody in his office for a week, I assume, right? Well, in, in, in the circumstances where she, she told him, listen, I want to do this, let's work something out, and he never said no, too bad. He didn't put his foot down. Uh, there was no back and forth. I think there wasn't unreasonable for her to do what she did. Again, it, it's borderline, but it's certainly not cause. Could be cause for discipline, but not cause for termination. Remember how difficult it is uh, to terminate for cause. So, yeah, in my view, she's definitely been wrongfully dismissed. What else you got, my friend? So second in the matter I'll tell you about, again, falls in the category of some of the worst severance offers that I've seen, which <laughs> I've done over the past uh, few weeks. This is uh, another one of those. Uh, I had a, a gentleman that had worked for a company for two years, but he was recruited from another company. Uh, they came to him. He had another job for, with a major company for over 20 years in a very senior position. And they came through a headhunter. They, they really made him these grandiose promises, and they convinced him to leave. He joined a new company, and he was let go after two years. When they let him go, they offered him four weeks' pay. Now, four weeks would have been very bad even if it was just two years of employment. He was probably owed six months of uh, severance just based on the two years. But because he was recruited away from that previous job, arguably this new employer had to account for his prior service. So even though he only worked for a company for two years, in the eyes of the law, he would have had over 20 years of service with them. So he, in fact, was owed as much as two years' pay. So this is a situation where he was offered four weeks, okay, and he was owed uh, as much as two years' pay. And he's a senior guy. The difference for him was close to $300,000. Jeez. So this is a severance offer, if you want to call it that way, that falls short by about $300,000. Of course, the lesson here is obvious. Uh, we've talked about this concept of recruitment, or as it's called, inducement. If you're recruited from another job and then are let go shortly thereafter, your employer must have to, or may have to account for the previous service, which means you get more severance. That is something they should put in an employment contract on the outside, yeah? Or can they? Well, yeah, or, the, or they can't write themselves out of that? They can. Absolutely yeah. they can. And the new employer should have and could have put something to the effect of, just to be clear, we're not recognizing any past service. Your service starts when you start with us. They hadn't done that. Because they hadn't done that, the law automatically assumes that because of the way they recruited him, that his service counts. And now they have a 20-year guy on their hands, even though he only worked for them for two years. So much said that people need to put in that employment contract and so many things that employers should be aware of as well when uh, getting those written and drafted by a, uh, a guy like you. We're going to take a uh, tiny break here. When we come back, we'll get into the severance pay calculator and our topic for the show, and that is the biggest mistakes that employers make. Right there, it's coming up. In the meantime, the number is one 821 5900 and it's Lior, L-I-O-R, Lior at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. 1-855-821-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get into the uh, biggest mistakes that employers make and get through some of your emails uh, over the next uh, little while here on the show. Wanted to get into this, so, and that is the severance pay calculator, my friend. Yeah, the severance pay calculator uh, is a very, very interesting, helpful tool. 
used tens of thousands of times by now, and the name says it all. The name tells you exactly what, what it is. It's the severance calculator, and it calculates the amount of severance that you're owed. As simple as that. Uh, you go to severancepaycalculator.com. Again, it's severancepaycalculator.com, and that's all you need to do. You, you, once you're there, you input your age, your position, and the length of your employment. Just those three pieces of information, and you find out right there how much severance you're owed, how many months pay you are owed. Is it one month? Is it 24 months? Is it something in between? You're going to find that out, and then you're going to know. You're going to be armed with this information. If you're going to be let go, if you were let go, and you were offered a certain amount, how do you know if that's adequate? Is that good enough? Should it be 10 times that? Well, you go to severancepaycalculator.com and find out. Make it the first place you go to. And if you see your buddy down the hall then that they lost their job, slip them a note or send them an email. Tell them to go to severancepaycalculator.com as well. The show today, let's get through this. The most common questions Lior gets that don't really need to be asked. Here's one. I was let go even though I did nothing wrong. Can my employer do that? John, we're going to talk now about a few questions that I get every day, literally daily, sometimes several times a day. And these are legitimate questions in the sense that people are curious and, and need to know that information. But those are questions that, that should be obvious and they don't really need to be asked. So let's answer them once and for all and, and, and educate uh, the individual. And, and one of the most common one, as you just put, put, uh, asked, is I was let go. I did nothing wrong. Is that legal? Can my employer do that? Yeah. And the reason why I say it doesn't need to be asked is because the law is clear. The law makes it very, very clear that an employer can let an employee go at any time and for any reason as long as severance is paid. That's the key here. That's severance. The severance has to be paid. You may you may not have done anything wrong at all. You may have been the best employee. Your employer can still let you go uh, for no reason at all or even for a bad reason as long as severance is paid. So the real question that needs to be asked in these situations is, is my severance fair? Is my severance appropriate? Not, you know, did I do something or I didn't do anything wrong? Can they do that? The answer is yes, they can, but what they probably did wrong or what the employer does wrong in 90% of the cases is they offer an adequate severance and that's what would make the situation what we call a wrongful dismissal. We're talking about uh, being hurt here, really, which is what you got to look past and get to the uh, the nitty gritty. I guess that goes with the second one. That is, uh, I was let go, but someone more junior than myself was kept on. Is is that a wrongful dismissal? Yeah, that that is tied to the first one. You know, I was let go, but you know, someone else was kept on. They like them better than me. Is this legal? Can they do that? Maybe it's discrimination. Well, again, as I said with the previous uh, previous one that we talked about, John, usually the employer can let someone go for any reason. So maybe they like someone better than you. Maybe that's that's BS. Maybe they shouldn't be liking someone better than you, but that's still their prerogative as long as they pay severance. Now, the exception to this would be is if they wanted to keep someone on for a discriminatory reason. So if they let you go because you're a woman, and they wanted a man on the job, that's illegal. It's discrimination. If they let you go because you're of a certain ethnicity and they wanted someone in the job of a different ethnicity, illegal. If they let you go because of a medical condition, etc., that's illegal. They cannot do that. But if they simply made a, an arbitrary unilateral decision to keep someone else and not keep you, even though you may be the better employee or the more senior employee, they can still do that. What is the real question? The real question is how much severance am I owed and did they pay me that severance? And as I said, 
in the vast majority of cases, you'll find, unfortunately, that the employer does not pay you proper severance. But the good news is these matters are easy to resolve. And you can start again with the severance pay calculator to see what you should uh, should really be owed. We should mention that again as well. Talking about the uh, most common questions Lior gets that don't really need to be asked. I was let go even though I did nothing wrong. Can I still get EI? Yeah, and the, the reason why it doesn't need to be asked is because that's not what you should be concerned about. Yeah. EI is easy. Yes, you can get EI. Of course you can. The real issue, again, is what is your severance and how much severance. So many people call me about EI. They're worried about EI, not even thinking, John, that they could be owed tens of thousands of dollars yeah. in severance. So that's why I mean by don't be concerned about EI. EI is going to take care of itself for the most part. We need to deal with your severance. So whenever someone calls me about EI, the first thing I ask them is forget about EI. I want to know, tell me about your severance. Tell me how much severance you got. And then invariably I find out that the amount that they received is not even close to being adequate. And that's the issue. Because your EI might just be pennies on the dollar compared to your your proper severance, right? Yeah. And if if you were let go, generally you're going to get EI. So EI, like I said, it's going to take care of itself. And it is going to be pennies often. When we could be talking about severance, severance worth uh, tens of thousands of dollars. The number, by the way, as we uh, sit here and chat, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Lior at employmenthour.com. We're discussing the most common questions Lior gets, but don't really need to be asked. And that is, uh, can I take my employer to court if I was wrongfully dismissed? If yes, and and the reason it doesn't need to be asked is because it's the wrong question. Can you take your employer to court? Court? I guess you could. The real question is, do I need to take my employer to court if I've been wrongfully dismissed? And the answer is, no, you don't. The vast majority of these matters, almost all of them, I'm talking 99% of them, John, resolve outside a court, not even within 100 feet of a courtroom. So we're not talking about going to court. We're talking about engaging the employer in a discussion, in a negotiation. Even if we have to commence formal legal action, the likelihood, the chances of actually having to go to court is minuscule. So it's not a question of can I take my employer to court, it's do I need to. Trust me, going to court is not fun, uh, except for us lawyers, we're, we're strange that way. But it's just for normal people, it's not fun. But the good news is it's not necessary. We can resolve these matters quickly, usually within a few weeks, very, very quickly on good terms. So from as far as I'm concerned, don't don't worry about going to court uh, just make sure that you get what you're owed because if you're not, if you haven't been offered what you're owed, we can resolve it without any court involvement. And let's face it, court's uh, tiresome, it's tedious and expensive. So most companies would like to avoid that whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and employment disputes beyond that, John, tend to be fairly straightforward. Yeah. Not all of them, but the majority are. So we can resolve it. It's not rocket science. We don't need a judge to tell us who's right and who's wrong. So don't worry about going to court. It's just not going to happen. The number, one 821 5900 Email symbol as well, Lior at employmenthour.com. If you have a few minutes, check out the severance pay calculator uh, during the break. And while we chat here, severancepaycalculator.com. Find out what you really owe, your real entitlement should be as far as your severance is concerned. More of the Employment Hour coming right up here. Talk Radio, AM 640. And AM 900 CHML. one 821 5900 and at employmenthour.com. We're talking about our discussion today, the most common questions Lior gets that don't really need to be asked. The next one down the list is this. Uh, how do I find out if my employer has a payroll of more than $2.5 I would never think to ask that question. 
Yeah. Well, uh, the, the reason people ask that, and right. let's talk about that first, is because if you go to our friends, the Ministry of Labor's website, or, or if you call our friends, the Ministry of Labor, uh, and you want to know how much severance, that's one of the questions they'll ask. Does the company have a payroll of more than $2.5 million? The reason they ask that is because your minimum entitlements may depend on the size of the company's payroll. But the key in the sentence that I just said is the word minimum. Your minimum entitlements may depend on the company's payroll, but your full entitlements are completely separate and have nothing to do with the company's payroll. So whether you get 18-month severance or 24-month severance or 6-month severance has nothing to do with the company's payroll. It's irrelevant. It has no meaning. It makes no difference. So we don't really care about it. If we were only trying to get you your minimum entitlements, we may care about that. But we don't want that. We're going to get your full entitlements. So because of that, whether you work for a big company, small company, huge payroll, or tiny payroll, it doesn't actually matter. So that's why that question does not need to be asked. That's another way that, unfortunately, the Ministry of Labor provides incorrect information. And it's not so much that it's incorrect. It's just incomplete. Yeah. They tell you what your minimum entitlements are. But if that's only one-tenth, for example, of what you're actually owed, how is that helpful to you? Uh, if I told you, John, that uh, you're owed $50, but you really owed uh, $5,000, well, that you wouldn't find my comments very helpful. And that's what the Ministry of Labor does. So when it comes to losing your job and severance, the size of the payroll does not matter. You get severance and you get full severance, whether you work for a big company or small company. If you work for a year or five years or 25 years, you get severance. So let's not worry about that. You know, it's funny. Even if I was asked that question on the phone with the Ministry of Labor, I would have no idea what to tell them. Oh, yeah, they, they do have a payroll. more. How do I know what payroll is in my company? I don't right now. You know right. what I mean? Right. So. No, I know. And, and, but, and, and nor should you care, to be honest with right. you. You really shouldn't care because it doesn't impact your entitlements. It's a, it's a, it's a misleading idea. I actually had someone uh, email me earlier this week, uh, you know, copying and pasting the language from the Ministry of Labor that talks about you have to have a payroll of more than $2.5 million mm-hmm. to pay severance. And they say, well, Leo, you always say that everyone gets severance. What's the difference? Well, that is the difference. Minimum entitlements versus full entitlements. I can't emphasize this enough. Even though, John, we've been saying this on the show for four years, there's still people that don't necessarily understand. They're having a very difficult time wrapping their head around the fact that the Ministry of Labor is going to provide this incomplete information. It's just the way it is. And I'm hoping that over these past few years, we've been able to educate people to to help them understand that difference between minimum and full. one 821 5900 is the number you want to call anytime. The most common questions Lior gets that don't really need to be asked is where we're going with this uh, this segment. Can I get my job back if I have been wrongfully dismissed? Yeah, and uh, that's another question. And a lot of people, you know, when they lose their job, as we've said right at the top, they're upset. They're uh, they're very emotional. They feel they did nothing wrong. And all they really want is for today to be like yesterday when I had a job and I was working and everything was fine. So I want my job back. Unfortunately, the reason this question doesn't need to be asked is for the most part, you cannot get your job back. As I said at the beginning, if you lose your job, it almost always becomes an issue of compensation, an issue of severance. Except in very rare circumstances and only for federally regulated employees, there may be some possibility, some window of getting your job back, extremely difficult and extremely rare. For the other 99%, 
If you lose your job, even if you've done nothing wrong and you've been a great employee and the company does not have a good reason, it becomes a question of severance yeah. only. It doesn't really matter uh, why they did it. And unfortunately, no, you cannot get your job back. Another question I know you get all the time is that if I, if I go after my employer to get severance, is this going to hurt me in getting another job after that? And people people ask that all the time, and you know I guess that's legitimate. If you you don't want to worry about severance is if by getting your severance you're going to shoot yourself in the foot no. and now not be able to get another job. You know I I don't care about another twenty thousand dollars in severance or fifty thousand dollars even if I can never find another job again. Well, the, here's the the good news is number one is the fact that there's no record of you negotiating with your employer. No one's going to know about that. There's no database where you go and say, ah, so-and-so asked for more severance. That doesn't happen. So the chances of anyone knowing is is small or, or in, it's not going to happen, number one. Number two, one of the things we negotiate when we negotiate severance is a reference letter as well as a good verbal reference. So not only do we not uh, upset the employer, but we also make sure that they give you a good reference as part of the overall resolution. And finally, here's what I think. If all you're trying to do is get what the law says you should have, you should never feel bad about it. If you're greedy and somehow you want to get paid more than what the law says, well, that's one thing. But that's not what this is about. We're only talking about getting what the law decided that you should be getting. Not me, not you. The law decided this. And if the law says you should have something, then you should have it. You should not feel bad or, or be worried about pursuing it because that's why we have laws here. Yeah, no database for that one. I can't picture anybody putting a database and going back over that, searching your name and sometime to see if you negotiated exactly. what you were properly owed, right? Makes no sense. So we'll take a break here. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and Lior L I O R at employmenthour.com. We'll bounce to a couple emails right away when we come back before we get into our uh, next topic of discussion here on the employment hour. It's talk radio, AM six forty and AM nine hundred CHML. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. The number anytime you want to toss us an email. Very simple. Lior at employmenthour.com. Stan uh, chimes in. Says I was let go recently and paid one week severance for every year worked. My employer says that this is all they owe me because uh, that is what my employment agreement says. I don't have a copy of said agreement. What do I do? Yeah, and you know, very very important question. I'm glad Stan asked it. A lot of our listeners may find themselves in the same situation. We talked recently on one of the weekday shows about employment agreements yep. and the fact that employers can try by way of the employment agreement to limit your entitlements, your severance entitlements. So you may have signed an employment agreement that says something to the effect that if at some point down the road we let you go, at that point we're not going to have to pay you your full severance. Now that's obviously bad and, and you should never agree to that if you can uh, avoid it and you should try to negotiate that. But if you sign something like that, that may be a problem, but here's the rub. In many cases, uh, that provision is not enforceable. It's not drafted in the proper way. So I'm going to say that in 80% or more of the cases, when I see language like that, it's not actually enforceable. It doesn't have the effect of limiting someone's severance. So Stan, I would want to see the actual agreement to see if it does limit your severance properly. Chances are that it doesn't. So if you don't have it, it's quite simple. You ask for it. Your employer should not have a problem asking for a copy uh, or, or a problem with you asking for a copy. They probably assume you already have it, so ask for it. If you're not comfortable asking for it or if they won't give it to you, let me know. I'll ask for it on your behalf. Once we have it, 
We can take a look at your employment agreement and decide if it does in fact limit your entitlements. If it does, okay. If it does not, you're going to be owed a lot more than a week's pay for every year of service. Now, I know you've talked in the past when it comes to that uh, employment agreement, one of the things you will look for is when it was signed, right? It's a key point uh, when it was signed. If it's uh, Now, that's not the only reason it would be unenforceable, but it's one of the reasons. And right. If you signed it after you started working, chances are it's not enforceable. An employment agreement, in order to be enforceable, would have to be signed before the employee started working. Not on the first day, not during their lunch break or a week after. Right before the employee starts working, if they've already started working, they already have the job, and then they sign it, arguably it's not enforceably, uh, enforceable, and, and it, if it tries to limit the person's entitlements and it's not enforceable, then guess what? That means you get your full severance and it doesn't limit you. What if there was an agreement, say, back and forth through email before the paper one? Say, say oh, great, you got the job, excellent, I'll be in Monday to sign the papers, blah, blah, blah. What if that happens before you start? Is that enforceable or it's got to be that paper contract? Yeah, if you uh, get an email saying, okay, you have a job, but we're going to have to have you sign an employment agreement, uh, and and they make that clear before you come in, and then you start you sign it first thing before you actually start doing work, well, you know what? Arguably, that's good enough. Right. If you sign it halfway through the day, it's already not enforceable because the moment you show up and start working, you already have a job, right? So if you sign it after you already have a job, it's not going to be enforceable. So, you know, it may be ridiculous to say, but, you know, 8.58 may be fine. 10 o'clock may already not be. So the devil's in the details, and that's certainly something we always look at when it comes to whether the employment agreement is enforceable or not. We'll get to another email here before we move on for a bit. Leah writes in and says, I'm an office clerk and work for a construction company. Every year, every year I get laid off in the winter and come back in the summer. This year, I have not been called back, and my employer won't return my calls. What are my options? Yeah, so, you know, Leah, in this situation, if every year you come back and, and you know, round and round we go every year the same thing, then you know, th- that's a regular job. It may be a job that has a, a gap and a break every year, but it's still a regular job. So if this year you haven't been called back, guess what that is? That's a termination. So you, your employment has been terminated. So now you're owed severance, just like any other employee. Your employer can't decide that this year I'm not going to call you back or oh, I still don't have to pay you severance. It doesn't work that way. No, you don't have to call someone back to work when you're supposed to, but if you don't do that, you have to pay them severance. So, Leah, you can check out the severance calculator at severancepaycalculator.com to find out how much you're owed. Give me a call. Let's make sure we get you everything you're owed. Uh, you, this is not a situation where you don't have entitlements. And by the way, John, remember one of the biggest misconceptions is that people in the construction industry don't get severance. That's wrong. We've talked about that. We'll talk about that in the future. We'll talk about it for many, many years to come. Even if you're working in the construction industry, you still get severance. Not only do you get severance, you get the same amount of severance as people that are not in construction. Why, Why is that a belief? Why is that still a belief with construction, people in construction? It all go, comes back to our friends at the Ministry of Labor, John. Oh, yes. Uh, all the fun stuff comes back to them. <laughs> under, the, <laughs> under the Employment Standards Act, uh, construction employees are exempt from provisions of, of, of the Act, of the Employment Standards Act. So uh, in the construction industry, you don't have the same minimum protection. So you're not going to have the same minimum entitlements. But your full entitlements are going to be the same. So you may not have minimum entitlements, but you have full entitlements, 
which means that if you lost your job, we're still going to look at your age, your position, and the length of your employment, even if you work in the construction industry, and you're still going to get severance. 1-855-821-5900 is that number. More emails in just a bit here. Lior at employmenthour.com is that email address. And if you haven't checked it out, this uh, amazing tool been around now. Hundreds of thousands of people have used it and discovered the correct information. I'm talking about the Severance Pay Calculator. That can be had at severancepaycalculator.com. It's the Employment Hour. More of it coming right up. Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. 1-855-821-5900. The number, the emails, Lior at employmenthour.com. Let's move on to this. Refusing unsafe work. I know you get calls and emails at the office about this uh, every week. So uh, what are some examples of work that may be deemed uh, or considered unsafe? Yeah, and this is a topic that comes up. And let's face it, workplace safety is and should be one of the most important uh, aspects of a job. Uh, you know, if we can't have an employee work safely, we should not have the employee work at all. And that is the employer's obligation. That's their primary obligation as an employer is to ensure the safety and the well-being of the employees. But the employee also has an obligation to look out for themselves. They have to uh, identify work that's unsafe. They have to bring that to their employer's attention, and they have to work with their employer to fix that problem so that they they and their colleagues can work uh, safely. Now, there could be many examples of of unsafe work. You know, it could be situations where uh, even as simple as the weather outside is such that any work outside would be unsafe. Maybe it's way too hot or way too cold. That could be a situation. You could be working with uh, electrical wires without proper equipment uh, to, to protect you. That's unsafe. You could be using uh, ladders or other equipment that are, are rickety and, and unsafe, and you run the risk of getting injured if you use those. All those are examples of work that's unsafe, work that uh, puts someone in danger. So anything that would put someone at unreasonable danger that's not part of the everyday expectations of the job is work that we consider to be unsafe, and it's work that the employee has a right to refuse doing. You, uh, you mentioned a bunch of scenarios, but now who decides if that work is unsafe? Well, as in first instance, at the first instance, the employee has to make that call. The employee has to identify work that's unsafe, and if that work is identified, they have to bring it to the employer's attention. Once they bring it to the employer's attention, the employer has to investigate and determine whether or not that work really is uh, unsafe, and if it is, the employer has to fix that problem. So the employee may not be an expert. The employee may not necessarily know for a fact whether the work is unsafe, they simply may have a concern. But just by triggering that concern, just by advising the employer that there's potential unsafe work here, that automatically triggers an obligation on the employer to investigate and to take measures to fix the problem if a problem really is identified. We're talking about uh, refusing unsafe work, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 821 So... What can an employee do if asked to do work that's unsafe? They're going to feel pressured, right? Well, they're going to feel pressured invariably, but this is where the law provides some some very good protections. So as I said, the first thing you do is you bring it up to your employer's attention. Uh, And if they refuse and if they make you say, well, we don't care, you have to do the work anyway without investigating, that's illegal. Okay, They cannot do that. Uh, you, you can refuse, and if they make you work, uh, that that's something that could be uh, uh, something they could be fined for. That could also be considered a constructive dismissal. It could, can be considered a reprisal under the Employment Standards Act. That's illegal. Now, if there's still no agreement with the employer as to what's unsafe, 
then that's when the employee can involve uh, the Ministry of Labor. The Ministry of Labor has an occupational health and safety branch, and they have inspectors that can come in and examine the workplace or examine the equipment, and those people are experts, and they can determine whether the work is safe or not, and if it's not safe, they can stop the, the work from being happening, they can order the employer to fix it, they can fine the employer if they don't uh, fix it. So there's some very good remedies here, and the key here to understand is you cannot be penalized for raising a safety issue, even if it turns out that you were wrong. Even if you raise a safety issue and it turns out that you were wrong, it was safe, there was nothing wrong with it, and, and you refuse for a while to do the work, you cannot be punished for it because we want to encourage people from bring, for bringing, or to bring these issues to the employer's attention. We don't want the employee to be worried, wait a second, if I bring it to someone's attention and it turns out I was wrong, am I going to get in trouble? We don't want people to think about that. Better safe than sorry. So the law is quite good there. If you ever are in, in that situation, you should not be concerned about be, being punished, being fired, uh, or being disciplined in any way. Okay, let's take it one step further. So now I've, I've, that's exactly happened. I've been punished or let go or suspended for uh, for what turned out to be an un, uh, you know a false claim of unsafe work. What's my recourse? Well, obviously that that would be illegal. And there's recourse uh, as, as in terms of compensation. There could be severance. There could be recourse in terms of additional damages for the reprisal. A reprisal is, is a situation where the employee tries to enforce their rights and get punished for it. That's what a reprisal is. And the, that employer also runs the risk of getting a hefty fine from the government for doing that. So all those things are, are things that are a potentially a consequence of the employer punishing an employee that raised a safety issue. So if that's happened to you, give me a call. Let's talk about it. Let's make sure that I help you get the compensation that you're owed. Uh, maybe we can even talk some sense with the employer and get them to back off. Uh, but at the very least, if that doesn't work, we should be able to get you compensation. So remember, the law in this area is quite good. one 821 5900 would be that number. Lior at employmenthour.com is the email address. We'll get to a couple more of those. As we get through this and we continue the refusing unsafe work, that's the topic for the next break. And on for the uh, the rest of the uh, the show here. Uh, the Employment Hour, Talk Radio, AM640 and AM900 CHML. 1-855-821-5900. That's the number you'll want to have on you at all times to call Lior or Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Through the old, uh, through the old email, refusing unsafe work is what we were talking about before the break. So now the uh, Ministry of Labor determines that the work uh, was safe, but the employer is still not comfortable doing it. Uh, can the employee do anything about that? Well, at, at that point, not really. Once the Ministry of Labor came in and investigated and determined that the work was safe, well, then then that's really the end of that analysis. Now, if the employee knows information that the Ministry of Labor inspector did not know, there's additional uh, materials or knowledge that came to light, they should tell that on, to yeah. the inspector, and they may be able to do a reassessment. But usually once the inspector decides that, you know, we came in, we looked at it, we examined it with our expertise and our knowledge, et cetera, and it's fine, it's safe, it meets the codes or the standards, then that at that point the employee uh, beyond that can't still refuse to do work uh, and it would be expected that, that the employee would, would do work knowing that the, the work was uh, approved and verified as being safe. So the, this happens regularly and the employer keeps having the, the employee do work which may be unsafe. What, what happens then? Well, certainly if you are in a situation where you, you keep feeling that, that your employer is putting you in an unsafe situation, the first thing you have to do, and I mean have to, 
is you have to bring it to the employer's attention. You can't say, well, it's unsafe, so I'm quitting and I still want my compensation. That can only happen after you've brought it to your employer's attention and your employers refuse to do something about it. So uh, you have to bring it to your employer's attention, make even put it in writing so there's no question as to what actually was said and that there's no denying that you brought it up to the to their attention. Once you've done that, uh, it's on them to fix it. If they don't fix it, if they ignore it, if they simply let it go, then you could treat that as a constructive dismissal. One of the most fundamental rights that you have that everyone has as an employee is to work in a safe work environment. If your employer puts you in a non-safe work environment, you've tried to fix it and they, they, they won't let you, they won't do anything about it, that's easily a constructive dismissal that would allow you to leave with severance, with compensation. Of course, I do not want, John, anyone ever leaving or quitting without talking to me first. Uh, we have to do that properly. We have to structure it properly. So if you're in that situation, before you do anything, give me a call. We'll get to a couple emails here to wrap up. Paul writes in and says, I am on long-term disability but have recently been cut off by the insurance company. Uh, my employer is insisting that I come back to work, but I'm still not well. What do I do? Well, first of all, if you're not well, the insurance company should not have cut you off, okay? And and that's point number one. Insurance company, as, as you know, John, and you've talked about this with my partner, Sivan Tamarkin, uh, to have a tendency to cut people off when they think they should be cut off rather than when the employee really should be cut off. So the first thing you need to do or we need to do is to get you back on those benefits, and we can do that, or, or, or certainly get your compensation. So give me a call. I'll connect you with Sivan. And, and we'll make sure that the insurance company doesn't cut you off before you're ready. So that's point number one. Point number two, if you're not well and your employer or your doctor supports you in that, in that uh, situation, you have to advise your employer that you're not well and provide your employer with a doctor's note saying you cannot work. Once the employer has that doctor's note, as long as that doctor's note is clear, they can't say, well, too bad, we still want you back or you have to come back or else. They can't do that. If they still insist on being unreasonable, that's illegal. That could be a human rights issue. You have to give me a call. I can usually easily get them off your back. Your job when you're now well is to get better and to do what you have to, to follow your doctor's advice. And your insurance is there to help you. And your employer is there to give you that time to get better. When other of those things don't pan out, either your insurance company is not cooperating or your employer is making your life more difficult, that's when you have to get legal advice. Good way to uh, wrap it up for this week, my friend. Uh, and in that regard, you need to get a hold of Lior from now on. It's one 821 5900 Email Lior at employmenthour.com. And if you haven't checked it out or used it, you want to uh, have a look at this one as well. The severance pay calculator. Find out what you're really owed as far as your severance is concerned. The address, severancepaycalculator.com. Till next time, this has been the Employment Hour. Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.